I think there's a big piece of social selling that's not getting done today. There's this line you have where you don't want to stalk people. Especially in an early stage company, what you want to do is you want to go out and use the sales folks to test the messages and see what's working. Early on, you want to have PR focused around your wins and you want to have customer references. Just PR for PR's sake, I think, doesn't work. Our competitors were doing PR every day. And after a while, it's just noise. Welcome to The Pitch Room. I am Malia Powers with Heavybit. On this show, we regularly talk about all things PR, including current events, crisis comms, PR tools and tips, reputation management, all with a special focus on developer communications. Each episode will bring you actionable tactics and strategies that you can implement today for real business results. If you're interested in being a guest or have a subject that you would like to hear about, email us at press at heavybit.com. Today, we're going to be talking about how sales and marketing departments are really two different, unique entities. And we're going to be discussing tactical ways that they can work together and then ultimately improve business performance. I have with me today a awesome sales expert, Marcy Campbell. I think now's a good time to introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Marcy Campbell. I'm the Senior Vice President of Sales and Business Development at Cubal. Cubal is a, a big data as a service company. We're in our Series C and we're located in Mountain View in Bangalore. Great. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah. Uh, I think you can go ahead and just kick it right off. Do you agree with the theory that sales and marketing are often at odds with one another? Uh, they can be. I, I think that companies that are working well and have an, a well-oiled machine, they actually work well together. I think you have to have a certain amount of respect for each one of those functions. And where I've seen them work well is where the executives have respect for one another, sure. have clear communications about what they're trying to achieve, and have put programs in place to have deep communications about the different systems that they're using or the different programs or the different messages that they're putting out to the market. Yeah, one of the things, the top level things of communications is identifying goals. And each department has different goals. I've been in some heated discussions where the sales department is saying, the marketing department's number one goal is sales, period, hard stop. And then they're saying, well, no, the function of sales is to do the sales, and the function of marketing should be you know, generating awareness, getting a funnel so that the sales team can do the sales. What do you think about the differentiating goals? Yeah, I think that the goals come from the top, right? I think mm-hmm. what you have to do is have a series of company goals that are laid out. So, for example, you have KPIs, and in those KPIs, what you do is you say, okay, what we're going to do from a revenue perspective this year, how many customers are we going to drive? You know, what is our brand going to represent? You know, how many partners will we have? What are our financial goals in terms of break even or raising more money? And I think that what happens from that is that if you do it right in your planning, sales and marketing will build out a program that says, well, how do you get more customers in the front end of the funnel? And then how do you build the messages that create brand awareness that allow you to become, you know, to beat your numbers? If sales and marketing are working on their own, you're going to have a big disconnect because in, especially in an early stage company, what you want to do is you want to go out and use the sales folks to test the messages and see what's working. I mean, when I joined Cubal, we really didn't know who our customer was. I mean, we had a number of customers, but they were, we had one very large customer and a bunch of smaller customers. And my job early on was to come back to the company and tell them, you know, here's what I think the sales cycle was and here are the messages. We are pretty granular right now. We work very closely with the marketing department because 
we've created this persona-based messaging. We have our complex sale. We know we have to go to the VP of analytics. We know we have to go to the VP engineering. We know we have to talk to legal security. And we have to talk to data scientists. And each one of those has a different... Our value is different to each one of them. So if we were just blast one organization with one value proposition, like you know, total cost of ownership, we can mm-hmm. reduce your cost of ownership. I mean, people just glaze over. But if we can talk about the fact that we provide, you know, a invaluable infrastructure for Spark notebooks to a data scientist, I think that's where that data scientist will will get interested. So. We rely on marketing very, very heavily to connect the dots around what the product can offer, what value it has to each part of those personas, and then how does it work in an enterprise sale model, and when do you actually attack each portion of that? And that's from brand awareness with PR, and you know articles and blogs and points of views, all the way down to the messages and the templates that you give inside sales to reach out to prospects. There is a really valuable process you can put in place early with an MQL SQL process, right? So the idea is that where the where marketing and sales work together well is when you sit in a room and you say, okay, here are the here's how we're gonna score a lead. We're gonna use these different variables. And sales has input into this, right? So the sales says, yes, my persona, you know, we're looking for these titles. So like a VP of sales comes in. And they're using a trial. They're not our target, mm-hmm. but you know, from a marketing perspective, they're like, "Well, how do I get from the VP of Sales to VP of Engineering?" So the the company is valuable, and the trial might be valuable, and the fact that we've got somebody outside of our target that's using the product or trying to use the product may tell you something. It could just be that that person's looking for a job, right? So the idea is to have a very Precise methodology around the MQLs. It's an agreement. It's a handshake agreement between sales and marketing. Okay. And can you give our listeners a definition of MQL? Yeah, it's a marketing qualified lead. Sorry, mm-hmm. and a sales qualified lead. So basically, what happens is, you know, marketing will start the brand awareness, so they'll start some output, or their website will have a trial, mm-hmm. or you know, they'll put some content in the website, or there'll be an event. Those come in as marketing qualified leads. In an MQL, what that is is it's raw, right? We don't know anything about them, right? We might have a Gmail address, we might actually have their phone number, but what we do is we qualify them, and we qualify them against. I think I talked about this in earlier. Podcast, but which which is Comsa, right? We have a five step process that we qualify. If they meet those five steps, they become what we call a sales qualified lead, mm-hmm. and then we pass them to outside sales. So we have what we call a we have SDRs, right? Sales sure. development reps. We don't have inside sales yet. We may in the future. Right now, our sale is very complex and it has multiple people in it, so it's harder to sell over the phone. However, what we do is we can qualify really quickly as to whether or not someone can use our product. And I think we're lucky in that I have I have an outline of you know who is our customer. Mm-hmm. And that's also an agreement with marketing and sales. Right? If someone thinks we're going towards the mid-market and we're th- and the sales thinks they're going towards enterprise, the messages are completely different. The methodologies of getting there is different. The marketing programs and where you would put money against those programs are very different as well. So you have to make sure that everybody is aligned. And I think that's the job of the CEO. It's the CEO, not the CMO. Yeah, I think the CMO is great, but you know his peer is a CSO or a VP sure. of sales. I have seen sales report into marketing. That happened at Netscape when I was there. Okay. Um, 
we had two different entities and then Mike Comer took over marketing. And sometimes that works because you need to have everybody in the organization aligned, but I see it in bigger companies than in smaller companies. I think in smaller companies you want to have as much talent and as much conversation and discussion as you can. And if you bring in a group of talented people around who respect one another and can have a discussion around the item sure. versus a political fight, I think you can do a lot. And so having those entities be separate is is good at the beginning. Cool. So one question that I had is you talked a little bit about turning leads into qualified leads. And in order to get a qualified lead, you're going to have sources and that are the best for lead generation. Is there a process in place that helps the sales team communicate to the marketing department like which leads are working? Yeah. Is is do you see that being a problem? It goes back to our talk about communication. Yeah, I think when it's really early, it's like, oh, I had four leads and let me tell you, three of them were, mm-hmm. you know, they were not very good. But I think when you're going into volume, so when you have right now we have 10 SDRs and, you know, 20 reps out in the field and we'll be build that out to 40, you can't do it that way anymore, right? So you have to have a process or we use Salesforce and basically we have we have a daily scrum meetings in the morning with the inside sales guys and, okay. and at the end of the day where it's 15 minutes, it's like what are you going to do today? How many calls are you going to make? How many meetings did you set up? And then what did you do today? How many contacts did you connects did you make? We also have a process in Salesforce where people will check it and say, you know, not qualified, invalid with a reason. And then also the we are testing the leads that are so that we can, you know, multiply that factor, right? So if okay. we're doing an event, for example, like a meetup, we did a meetup with the AWS team in Seattle. And you know, what came in was was a great opportunity out of that. And it came in on its own and we were able to connect it to that that event. Then we say, okay, let's do more of those. Versus if we go to, you know, we used to go to the big data events where there was nobody was using the cloud and that's just not an opportunity for us. You come out of that and you've got, you know, a bunch of leads, 300 leads and you call every one of them and you mm-hmm. put them in the machine and the marketing machine to nurture. They're not bad leads, they're just not ready, right? And so yeah. I think you have to decide which ones are marketing leads and which ones are sales leads that you can enable. Yeah, so a lead that is going to come through based on the content that the marketing comes out is that going to be a target for marketing to nurture for a little bit, or is that going to be routed straight to the sales team? And- uh-huh. That's an it depends question, okay. right? So, this is where I struggle because you know sometimes you have trials. Like we we route all trials right to the sales guys without going into the marketing machine. And the reason we do that is that if somebody's actually trying your product, we want to find out what they're doing and who they are and and how we can engage. Now, if they mask their identity by putting a Gmail address and you know they're not responsive to our emails, we'll just pop them back into the marketing machine and let them when they want to engage with us, we'll we'll engage with them. Where it gets tricky is when you do events, right? So the thing you need to have is you need to have a methodology that's systematic enough so that you're not going to drop the ball from a sales perspective. If you're going to take the leads before they go into the marketing, whatever it is, HubSpot or Marketo or Eloqua, you you need to make sure that you have follow-up and you have a follow-on. So, for example, we work with a company called Spiderbook. And Spiderbook is allows us to, they're, they're a data science tool. And okay. what they do is they allow us to go find all the companies at big data platform projects as well as cloud environments. And so they give us like 600 names every quarter. And so we know those are targeted. They are COMSA, they're, they're going to fit our profile. So what we do is we have the sales guys go after that first. 
And then what we do after a quarter is we put them in the marketing machine. Okay. Because the ones that haven't moved forward, and we got like a 15% hit rate on it, it was great. But the ones that don't go forward are the ones that we put back in the marketing machine to nurture until they actually come out again as a 10 where we can we can engage. Yeah, is there uh, any statistics that you could provide there about a hit rate for how many times it takes to reach out <sighs> to maybe that that nurtured you know, I've talked to pros in this. I actually have hired some folks that are that are working with us now, and you know, they're saying twelve to sixteen. 12 to 16. I mean, it's a lot, sure. right? It's a lot more than we thought. We were initially thinking, okay, we'll touch them six times, right? Well, six times is actually not a lot, but there's there's this line you have where you don't you don't want to stalk people. Sure, you know, it's like you get to proactive stalking, and and people are just not going to engage with you. So you've got to yeah. be careful about the content, you know, and make sure it's valuable. To the people who are using it, and they have sort of opted in to raise their hand to engage with you versus yeah. just cold calling. And it's also the type of content. Like we're so wired with short feed that you know constant short feed updates totally. are totally. interruptions are fine. But the moment you're sending like newsletters or targeted white papers, people are like, "Get this out of here." Yeah, I mean, I it's funny because we were working with um, question based selling, which is Tom Fries's methodology. He came out to train us, and what he teaches on question based selling, most people think it's like open end, close end selling. It's not. What it is 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 about being an expert in your area, mm-hmm. so that when you engage with someone, you ask them, you create curiosity, right? Yep. So it's about creating curiosity and someone says, you know, I will talk to you about MQLs and SQLs or marketing here because I know you're an expert in that area yep. and we can have a deep conversation where I will get value. Yeah. So when you reach out to those folks, it is that short-term, very quick email that talks about value to them. Yeah. And, and I've seen these emails that I get that are just dumps of Here's what we can do for Cubal, and I just delete. Yeah, being an expert in your area and showing that through content marketing is a really powerful strategy, um, especially for the dev tool companies because ad blockers are off. They're they're not interested in the right. advertising. So how do you get to these developers? Is you develop the answers to the questions that they're likely going to be asking. Exactly right. So through FAQs and blogs that they check, as well as you know mm-hmm. Twitter. I mean, you go. You have to communicate to people in a way that they want to communicate with you, right? So when you look at developers, especially, they're big on Twitter. Mm-hmm. You know, being able to reach out to them and have short conversations there and drive them to where content is, where they can see value. I mean, they hate being sold. So what you will need to do is put them in a process that allows them to buy mm-hmm. right in my current job you know we have more of a traditional sales cycle so it's it's a little different right you know if i twitter's a good tool for us but it's not the only tool right so for us it's about how do i build enough content technical content because we have a technical mm-hmm. product with a technical audience and you know if you don't know the details of the infrastructure if you don't know what you know an object store is then you know you're probably not a customer of ours, right? So mm-hmm. where it's you have to get very granular and having conversations about like you know best practices or even buyer's guide, like helping people buy, I think is a really powerful tool. Yeah, something else that I talk a lot of to our members about that's born out of the marketing department, but I'm interested in hearing how it affects the sales department is the importance of network effect and fostering a community. So Stack Overflow is you know, yeah. Yeah, increased by the number of users and GitHub, Heroku, yeah, even by the, pl- the, the plugins increasing. So it's usually born out of marketing, but I would assume it has immense impact on the sales side. 
Yeah, I think there's a big piece of social selling that's not getting done today. In fact, I just hired someone who brought in a social selling plan, right? I think it's different than than social marketing. Mm-hmm. I think it's about like how do I engage people in the environments that they are in and create a word of mouth, yeah. right? So last quarter, we had two new brand new big customers that came because the engineers that were in current customers left and got new jobs. And so it's like, how do I build a megaphone around that? Right, that that's mm-hmm. super important. Is how do I get my customers to tell their friends and family and their constituencies that this is the product to buy or the service to buy? So those leads are going to be the most valuable. Totally, too. The, yeah. the referral, the f- referral automatically. I would right. assume goes into a high quality. Yeah, and community is really interesting. You know, everybody mm-hmm. equates community with open source, but I'm not so sure that's. You know, there's a community of data scientists. There's a community of data analysts. There's all kinds of communities out there, mm-hmm. and I think being able to leverage those communities in a meaningful way, where it's a value to the community, I think it's really important. I think that's a very broad statement, so it doesn't add a lot of succinct value. Um, but you know, I think for each one of those communities, you can get really creative about how to reach them mm-hmm. and how to offer. You know, those communities something of value. For example, we just did a free giveaway to universities. Right for our product because okay. we want people who are getting their PhD in data science to use our product, right? So that just seemed natural to us. So we just announced it and we put it out in the market, and hopefully it'll address you know a need the community has there. Got it. And then just turning ships a little bit, I'm interested to hear your thoughts as an early stage developer company or a developer tool company in general. What the role? Of PR plays in the overall sales function, how you view PR internally, how it helps, maybe how it doesn't. Yeah, I mean, PR is an important tool to have in marketing. I think I learned a lesson when I was at Engineer. I, I got to run marketing for about, I don't know, nine months to a year. And what I found is that PR really helped if it was technical, mm-hmm. right? So that we, and it was very focused when we were early, right? Sure. Early stage. You can't afford PR, first of all. And the brand awareness, you can do a number of ways, especially you can do it through community, you can do it through meetups. Mm-hmm. There are other ways to do that. PR becomes more important as you get broader in the market. Yep. So, you know, it's very hard if you're doing persona based marketing to do, you have to do very targeted PR. Yep. And so I think it's a good tool. I just think that you have to determine. And your budget for it based on where you are in your life cycle of your company. What was interesting to me was our competitors, when I got, when I got to Cubal, our competitors were doing PR every day. Every day I get a Google for each one of my competitors. They were putting mm-hmm. something out in the market. And after a while, it's just noise. Yep. Right? It's like, hey, we have a partnership with ABC company, now XYZ company. It's like, okay, this adds no value. Yeah. So I think early on you have to, you know, you want to have PR focused around your wins and you want to have customer references. One of the things Amazon does really well, they will do no PR unless there's a customer quote mm-hmm. and a customer reference. Yep. Right. So yeah. just PR for PR's sake I think doesn't work. If you can talk about a new trend, if you can tie it to an initiative, mm-hmm. and if you can tie it to customers. It works. Yeah, in the early days, there's always questions about, you know, should we be announcing our private beta? Should we announce our public beta? When is the right time to do PR? And as you were saying, customers are extremely important. And until you have that product market fit and you understand what's going to turn, you know, your freemium leads into paying customers, 
that's the marketing message that you want to be leading with, and that's when you start doing PR. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that makes a lot of sense. You know, the only other thing that I'd say is, you can use other people's PR to create noise for yourself. And and what I'm talking about there is, you know, if there's an event like some other company, one of your competitors gets purchased, being able to, you know, or has an event or goes public, being able to get into that cycle and having your name mentioned in their press. Is mm-hmm. super important. That's where it becomes interesting if you're a small company, right? So if you look at like when Heroku got bought by Salesforce, Engineard is mentioned in every single one of their press yep. releases, right? So yep. that to me was a win because my team and I actually sat down and when we heard about it, we're like, okay, we got to engage PR yeah. here. When I was at uh, VMware every morning from 8 to 8.15 a.m., we would have a news of the day call and just run through the news and see if there was anything relevant that we had either a point of view on or if it was a competitive announcement, what our reaction would be. So getting in that news cycle via trend jacking essentially is a good strategy. And it's pretty low, it's not super time-consuming Exactly, right. So I think though, I worked with a marketing guy a long time ago when I was at Kana who told me, you know, you can burn that channel really quick. Mm-hmm. Right, so you have to be careful about what you throw through that channel. Yeah, not time consuming, but another question that you never have a good answer to is like, how much time should you be spending on marketing PR in your early in your early days when you should be building your product? My answer is usually never enough, but uh, I'm also biased and interested to hear your thoughts. I think if you can be creative and do it for very very cheap. If you can think about using channels like your blog or using Twitter or connecting with some uh, somebody else's PR, I think that makes a lot of sense. You know, a lot of the startups they just don't have budgets for it. Yeah. You know, you talk about the daily calls with VMware. That's a big company, right? Oh, yeah. And it's super important that they have a PR engine working. Right, it is brand awareness. It's being able to be at the table when people make decisions for their products. When people don't know about you at all, like what you don't want to do is just be spinning in the wind. Sure, right. You want to have a targeted point of view about something. Now, there's an exception here, I think, in that if you want to pick a fight, right. So I'm a big believer in picking fights, mm-hmm. and so you should find a big Goliath and go ahead and like go pick a fight, like be ankle biters. Right, and you can do that yep. through some different channels, and PR is one of them. So, is there any companies that you've either worked for, that you've had friends worked for, that you've seen do their PR, marketing, and sales departments that have worked well together? I think my current my company works pretty well. I think mm-hmm. you know, I, from a sales perspective, you never get enough PR. You're like, okay, where's the PR? Where's the yeah. brand awareness? Right, I'm on the PR calls. During the week, and so basically, I have a point of view. Usually, I bring the customer case studies. I'm like, oh yeah, we should talk to this customer. We're lucky enough, and our customers love our product, and they're willing to talk about it. So that mm-hmm. helps. You find that customer case studies are a valuable tool for your sales team when they're published in the media. Yeah, sometimes. And, and let me tell you why. You know, the challenges with selling technical products is people. You want to know why people use it, mm-hmm. right? So a use stu- a use case or a, or a or a case study gives a framework for non technical salespeople to go out and sell it, right? So it's like, oh, let's look for recommendation engines, right? You have the ability to go and identify what a a prospect looks like, so that's important. Mm-hmm. In PR, if I am that prospect and I have that problem and I see somebody I respect being quoted, I'll go and I might be interested in your product. Sure. 
Right. Yeah, I found most successful when pitching journalists is leading with benefits rather than features when you're pitching these customer case studies. How much time is saved? How much money is saved rather than just like X amount of speed? Yeah, yeah, and I'm a true believer in you know identifying the problem that you're solving mm-hmm. first and making that problem really big, right? So talking about like most people sell the solution and then the alternatives, right? And and then the talk about the problem. I I think you have to identify the problem and then talk about the alternatives and then talk about your solution. So earlier, Marcy, you were talking about SDR team and when leads are passed over to them. I'm interested in hearing about what department do they fit in? Do they report to marketing? Do they report to sales? I think it's either. Okay. You know, I think there is a it depends answer, and here's why. There's pros and cons to both, right? So from we started the SDR team in sales at Cubal. It could naturally move over to marketing because it really is a lead gen engine. And it's a lead lead gen engine where you don't have any other alternatives, right? I mean, you really don't want to be cold calling, but we do want to be following up on trials. I think that the reason I say it could go over to marketing is because it makes marketing accountable for all the leads if they own all the processes. Where the disconnect comes is a lot of times the SDRs are like, these are crappy leads. I don't like these things, right? Basically, You're not getting good leads, and they point the finger at marketing. And marketing's like, well, I'll give you more leads. And so they give more leads, but they're not necessarily quality. If marketing owns both quality and quantity, sometimes that works better. So I, I think I can go back and forth. And I don't feel like as the VP of sales, I need to own the SDR group. Okay. Right? I, I don't. I just think where it works best is where it's most aligned. So if the SDR group gets more aligned because they are reporting up through the same structure, that might be where it belongs. If they need to be more aligned with the field sales reps and you build pods, then you might want to have them over in sales. That's interesting. I've never heard that point of view. Um, so basically what you're saying is it almost comes down to ownership. It does. Um, yeah. And then with communication on what does the overall quality of the lead look like and what's successful or not between the, marketing. The worst thing that can happen is that marketing sends a whole bunch of leads over into the SDR groups and they ignore them. And they ignore them because they've had bad experiences with the other leads and they think, I can get better leads on my own hmm. than following through on the leads that you have in my bucket. You know, Then you have a broken system because you've lost trust. So one of the remedies there might be to to move that organization. I just don't know. What's interesting to me is in the last, I had never heard of the SDRs working for marketing until the last two years. Interesting. Where people are like, oh yeah, I own the SDR group. And I'm like, oh, but you're a CMO. To me, it's like if the system works and we can drive more revenue, I'm happy with it being wherever in the organization. Well, that's all we have time today. Thank you very much, Marcy, for your insights and this super valuable tactical information. Oh yeah, I'm happy to be here. I, I love what you're doing here at HeavyBit. It's great. And you've had some just fabulous companies coming out of here. I've had the opportunity to work with a number of them and they're really impressive and it's an impressive program. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Pitch Room, brought to you by HeavyBit. HeavyBit is a nine-month program and community for developer-facing startups. For more information, visit heavybit.com.